down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night, drinking wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hello, welcome to Tasting Anarchy. This is the episode where we talk about men talking into microphones. I'm joined by not Mason today, but Nate. Nate, how are you? I'm doing great, and uh, as alluded to before, I like talking into microphones. Yes, that's what you would like to do for a living. So, so we're actually not talking about wine today. Um, we're going to be talking about talking into microphones. Yes, mo- we have each a monodirectional microphone set up. Um, they're silver and elongated, rather phallic looking, actually. Um, and we like talking to them. We like talking to them. They're very close to our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we actually will be talking about a, a wine today. Um, so Nate is is visiting me in Dallas, and we were reminiscing about our past uh, exploits the uh, the failed attempt at a podcast that we had maybe four or five years ago mm-hmm. called uh, the adventure the Nate and Jake adventures or the adventures of Nate and Jake episode one episode one was a gentleman's guide to jerking your meat because <laughs> I had just gotten a uh, dehydrator and learned how to make jerky and I think we talked also in that episode about planting grapes oh yeah, yeah oh for I, sure we did and i think uh it was that and this was before i even liked wine but we planted those grapes in the backyard and decided to kind of do like an episode of that we i think we had a raspberry bush that we put back there that died yeah we had we had a few other yeah i think we i think we got a raspberry bush we had a and you were doing calligraphy at the time too oh yeah because yeah. <laughs> i picked i picked up a kid at like uh barnes and noble or something and was trying to trying to do calligraphy and yeah. it was super interesting for about a week. <laughs> That's right. And actually, Victoria, did we when we moved, I believe I had that the uh the notes that you had done oh. in calligraphy <laughs> in like a little frame. <laughs> did we keep that? Do you remember? Uh, she's, for she's the shrugging. for episode one. Yeah, for episode I one. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't I remember that. It was and probably... then you found like you found a frame somewhere and you were like, Well, I'll just frame these notes. Yeah. <laughs> they look nice. This is an epic episode. It'll continue forever. Yeah. And then it didn't. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, Nate is is here visiting Victoria and I in Dallas just for the for the weekend, and I thought uh, I would share a one of the nicer cabs that came in my Wall Street Journal subscription. Um, well, I believe it's one of the nicer cabs. It, that's what they told me. And um, actually, Nate, I'm going to stand up real quick. You can fill the dead air, or you can just be quiet, and I'll cut it out in a minute. <laughs> but but uh, I actually do have notes on this that I, I forgot over on the other side of the room. Yeah, so what we have here is uh, from the R Collection of California. It's Raymond Cab Soft 2017, 10th anniversary edition. And um, yeah. But I forgot to get my notes, and we've already had a pretty good day um, just showing him around our part of Dallas. Uh, But I do, one of the cool things, and I think I talked about this on the short episode that, well, there was a classic episode last time. I think if you guys are listening in order, there was a, there was an episode of classic from when I still lived in Norfolk 
And then before that, I did a mini episode that was reviewing a uh, Catalonian Cabernet Sauvignon. And that was also from the Wall Street Journal collection. And one of the things that I mentioned was that I like that I like about this Wall Street Journal collection is that they send these little tasting cards with it so that you can uh, know a little bit more about the wines. And this particular one is like there, like when you read the advertisement for it, it's like the fancy wine, I guess, the one that they're like, we're going to send these two fancy bottles to you and and a few other ones and that then, probably and a, might be yeah, okay and the, and the other ones range from like ten dollars to maybe eighteen dollars and then these two are are online it says they're thirty dollar bottles of wine but it says it's the wall street journal wine 10th anniversary edition by raymond cabernet savignon as i believe nate read and the, there's like a little i guess like a little note section on the wine itself and i'll go ahead and read that before we do the tasting notes because i'm going to let you nate since you're the closest thing to a wine expert that i know <laughs> uh, i'll let you decide what like you, the aromas you smell and what you taste and then we'll see if that matches that because one of the things that mason and i like to do is like guess what it is and then look at the tasting notes from the professional and see what how close we came and since you introduced me to wine through black box oh yeah uh, cabernet sauvignon the shower wine um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's i feel like you would be the best person to i guess give notes on a cab oh that's a um, lot that's some uh high uh, praise and some yeah. good pressure yeah so it says here so the wine uh when we decided to commission a cabernet to celebrate wall street journal wine wine's 10th anniversary it had to be from raymond vineyards led by head winemaker stephanie Patnam, uh, their, quote, one of the iconic wineries in Napa, unquote. Um, and then it says in parentheses, renowned critic Robert Parker. I guess that's who is who they're quoting there. Um, and no estate has made a bigger impression over the last decade. Their red label inaugural cabinet is our number one most loved U.S. wine with over 10,000, uh, like, you know, it's favorites like is in like an online click. So like a it's favorited uh, um, on what site the Wall Street Journal wine uh. and um, and their flagship generations release just scored 98 Parker points for those of you who are not familiar with Parker points those are one of the there's actually several rating systems that they give to wine but that's one of the ones that they usually display at like total wine you'll see on the little label it'll say you know 86 90 something and it, it it's a it's a rating system they give to wine it is a little bit subjective because it's just from i think it's done by sommeliers they they're the ones who and actually i have some interesting news about a scandal in the sommelier Ooh. world so that's what parker points are is basically like when you're looking at wines total wine is one that i know does parker points uh they also do a separate point system too i'm not sure what that one is it may be like self-rated like or rated by the total wine people who work there yeah uh we think you'll be very pleased with this exclusive 10th anniversary edition cabernet uh, and then it says stephanie crafted it with grapes from some of her favorite vineyard sites uh and the excellent 2017 vintage which produced seriously ripe rich fruit that leads me to believe that this will be a slightly sweeter or fruitier i guess cab because if it's fermented all the way it'll be dry like a cab should be mm -hmm. but if it's if it produced very sugary grapes and this would be high alcohol content but i'll mention the alcohol content in a minute after patient barrel aging this decadent black label cabernet brims with luscious red cherry ah they're getting into the tasting notes so you already know one of them. Yes, I was going to say I tasted the uh, luscious red cherry. I was going to even use the word luscious as my descripting. I want, I want that to be noted. All right. What do you think the aromas are? 
So I, I, I've always had a hard time with aromas because to me, it just, it smells like a classic cab sauve. Like that's how, I didn't know what it was actually when we first opened it. Okay. And just right off the bat, just a, a nice, I mean, it's, it's kind of your quintessential cab smell. Yeah. It does smell like that to me as well. Um, I, pro- I, I may, after we do this, I have another bottle of this because they send two with the Wall Street Journal wines. I may try to do my, I have a little white book that I write down my tape, my notes in. Um, uh, I try to do that first before I have any sort of like introduction to it, but I'll read to you what they, what the winemakers notes are. Uh, so they say for aroma, ripe red cherry, toasty oak and subtle baking spice notes. That all to me sounds exactly like what every single Cabernet smell is. Right. Like occasionally they'll have like ripened plum or mm-hmm. uh, some other type of red fruit. But, you know, cabs are, are notorious for just having red fruit flavor. Uh, baking spice is not always there. Sometimes it's pepper. Uh, but uh, baking spice, I guess, would be like nutmeg. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I have a hard time when people use that generic term of yeah. baking spice. Yeah, what does um, that mean? Yeah, because right. like, there's like, we've got apple spice in the cupboard, which I would not describe this as. But it does smell nice, but I think it smells like, you know, like a cab. The way that cabs should. I'll go ahead and let you have a little taste when you're ready, and then I will read the tasting notes. Yeah, I'd say it tastes like a luscious black cherry. Mm. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm almost gonna think that they're gonna describe the the flavor of the wine almost like it smells. This is actually, I'll tell you what I taste, and this is not in the notes. Like blood, mm-hmm. like cop that coppery blood taste. Do you taste that? No. Okay, that's interesting. Like. I actually do like this because I'm a vampire, but... The drink, the blood, the blah, 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 blah. But it, yeah, it does. I'll, I'll read you the notes that they have. Look of similar flavors on the luscious, well-balanced palate. Velvety tan... Oh, it does have velvety tannins. Velvety tannins introduced long-staying finish. This says nothing about what it says on the front. <laughs> so let me go back to They what... didn't even describe the flavor. No, they it just, doesn't. It's just, they it's described like... the tannins, which yeah. I, I would say it, it's not a very... It's not It's not as like lip-smacky tannic as, dare I say, freak show. Uh, dare. Dare I say, because that's <laughs> we mention that every episode, but that's that was my go-to cab for a long time, and so I do compare freak show. pretty much everything to freak show. Uh, but freak show is a much more, I guess, like wild, robust cab this is a much more refined cab i think um you had you've had freak show with me before haven't you yeah yeah and, and i well and, and i almost i almost think that it has just a, a hair more tannins than i would typically expect from a cab sauv usually um and also from one that's so young i mean it's a 2017 yeah um and it's it's actually it's got a very nice smooth flavor and then the the tannins do kind of stick with you for a little bit afterwards yeah but it's not nearly as tannic as like some of the cheaper ones that i get like like, okay like the freak show is very very tannic i like that one a lot actually last episode probably we had a pinot tedge that well this is last episode it was a classic so several months ago but I do recall this Pinotage because it's Alpost and I like Alpost. I like their cab that they do as well, which is a South African cab. And it's also very, very tannic. Mm. And I really like tannic wines. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, I love like that, that dry mouth feel. This is much more silky. Um, it, it does have ta- a tannic element to it, but it's not... Uh, it's it's not as aggressive. It it no. does seem much more refined. And you it, know what? Now it, that I've tasted this, I may save that other one for a couple of years and see how it turns oh, yeah. out. Yeah, you. I, I would think so. 
Yeah. Well, and, and it, it doesn't. Um, the tannins don't assault the entire mouth. Right. Like certain certain tannins will just yeah. dry out the entire mouth. It's much more more tongue action. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's a lot more. Let me read the. Uh, the, the flavor notes they have on the front here. So uh, it says Cabernet brims with luscious red cherry flavor, toasty spice notes, and the trademark Raymond polish. I don't know what the Raymond's trademark is, but it says that they have a polish. Um, it's perfect. It's the perfect red to celebrate 10 years of wine and friendship. Check out our toast from Estate Properties, uh, John Charles Bo- Boisset. I, would say, I guess that's his last name. Boisset, B-O-I-S-S-E-T, Boisset, um, okay, on the label. So, and then it says from the, here's the winemaker's notes. Um, You'll find some of the world's most sought-after Cabernet Sauvignon in California. And Stephanie, here with Jean Charles, has crafted her uh, share. This past Cabernet of the Year winner, so I guess this cab, they've won the award Cabernet of the Year before, Hmm. um, and that's from the Wine News. Uh, Help build the reputation of top Napa estates such as Far Ninet and Hess. I don't, I don't know what that is, but um, like many elite winemakers, she holds a coveted degree from the UC Davis Wine Program. The UC Davis Wine Program is actually a really interesting wine program, and they have uh, some of the top wine geneticists in the world. And they've been actually tracing back like what the original grapes and stuff were. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and they think they think now, which is really interesting because the history books say something different. Um, but genetically, they think Pinot Noir might actually be the oldest wine grape. Uh, what was the previous? Do you know what the previously? Yeah, so the, so- the thought the, they didn't know what the oldest one was, but they were thinking it might be like Sapavari or. Uh, one of the Georgian red varietals. Okay. Because, um, but Georgia also does have Pinot Noir grapes, and Sabavari is very closely related to Pinot Noir. Um, and uh, but originally Pinot Noir, the the story or whatever around it was that um, a German duke or or count or something like that uh, commissioned the grape to be cultivated, and they and the first wine that they made out of Pinot Noir he thought was so disgusting that he outlawed the Pinot Noir grape. But the uh, it was a very popular wine amongst the peasants, and they loved it, and so they snuck it out, and it became a very prominent French grape, hmm. um, which is why it's called Pinot Noir. They would have called it something else if it was German. Oh, yeah. Not, um, not as elegant, probably, sounding. Yeah, they, I think they came up with... That was around when they started coming up with like their very strict Riesling laws, where like you had to have like very, very strict guidelines to... Uh, Germany is actually notorious for having weird alcohol laws. But I also feel like their grapes aren't as, uh, like the grape sounds aren't as um, as rough as the language. No, yeah, Ries- like- Riesling. But it might be because, this would be my guess, is that um, Germany was not like a unified cultural place until the late 1800s. So there was a lot of other things there, but Austria was. And okay. Austria, they speak a variant of German, uh, or it's a Germanic language. So if if Riesling is the name of the grape, I would venture to guess that it's more of an Austrian origin, or maybe a Swiss origin, or something like that. But right. you know what? That's just that's total speculation on my part. I have I have no idea. But I do know that Germany, as a as a nation state, didn't form until like the 1880s. Like it's a it's a fairly new country. Like it's which is surprising. You think of it as being a very old place, but it. It's not. Hmm. There's Prussia before it, but Prussia was only a very small portion of what is now modern Germany. Right. Um, so I do have some interesting news uh, that 
I mentioned earlier about uh, sommeliers. So there are only about, I think, about 320 sommeliers in the world, master sommeliers in the world. Okay. Um, There's, you know, way more lower level sommeliers, but master sommelier is, and I think there's been fewer than 500 since 1960 made masters. Wow. So there's not very many. And just this last week, a big scandal broke that many of these master sommeliers, the newer ones, cheated to get their title. Oh, boy. And they've stripped twenty three or twenty six of them of their master sommelier title. So how do you how do you how would one cheat? Well, it, there's a series of tests to become a master sommelier. Right. Part of it's written. Um, part of it is like a uh, like a panel of master sommeliers reviewing your ability to like. It's it's amazing to see these guys. I bet. So, I mean, yeah. you want to talk about people who are like nitpicking like oh, yeah. the flavors out of every single wine. Well, what's crazy about it is that they will like they'll look at a wine. They'll be like. Uh, this is a, a dark chartreuse. It is uh, the edges are this that that I would estimate that this has fourteen percent alcohol. I would estimate that this is um, yeah, like this. I would say that this is probably a riesling. They would smell it and then they'd be like, uh, "It's a riesling from the north face of the vineyard." It's this. Then they'll taste it and they'll be like, "Oh, I know where this is. This is from um, this is a riesling. This is a riesling from Austria. This is a riesling from the." Uh, from this province it's from this quarter of that province it's probably from this vineyard and and they're getting this all right just from taste right and like it it's incredible to see them do this it's a lot and, of a lot of dedication yeah it, it, it's very very competitive and actually almost all master sommeliers are from former competitive sports or like or they played competitive athletes athletics at some point Hmm. Um, and, uh, and a lot of the time they're like, uh, they're like baseball, like high school baseball stars or college baseball stars who it was very clear. We're not going to cut it for the major leagues, <laughs> but they have that competitive attitude. They, they just weren't quite talented enough for the major leagues, but they are talented enough yeah, you, to try hard and become a master sommelier. Yeah. Cause it's, you definitely have to have perseverance to get through that and to just the dedication. Yeah. And it, it really is. It's like a sport and because it's such a you have to really live this world of wine. Um, and and the, the reason is like, so a lot of people don't really understand what a sommelier does. And um, after watching a couple of documentaries on sommeliers, I, I realized that's not what I want to do because it is it seems so unenjoyable. Well, I, I feel like at a certain point that when do you, when can you ever stop judging mm-hmm. a wine? So if you're just like out and you just, you're, you want to have a nice wine with your friends yeah. or something like that, at what point does your brand like shut off and like, Oh, you know, this is good enough. I can right. enjoy it. Or are they sitting there the entire time like, hmm. Well, and there's and there's some that like I was watching several interviews with different different sommeliers and like some of them like there's sommeliers who specialize in like $3 wine. And and huh. they're and they're he's like, "Look, I've got a a 10-year-old $3 wine from Trader Joe's. This wine will beat any of those $100 bottles from last year." And he, and they and they know this stuff. So uh, and it's really interesting too because a sommelier's job is not to show off how much they know about wine. It's to make you, the person who's buying the wine, happy that you bought the wine they recommended. Right. And to bring you through the journey of it. It's not keep just you, to keep tell the you, taster informed. Yeah, keep the taster informed and bring them on the trip too. Like one of the cool things about wine, and one of the reasons I think it really appeals to me, is that there's a lot of history to it. There's a lot of culture to it. And um, the like, and Mason and I talk about this a lot on the show. And so if you guys have been listening for a long time, you'll kind of pick up on this. One of the things that I'm interested in, you know, before you and I met, my major was history. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of the stuff that I do, the history aspect of it is really interesting to me. And that's one of the things I really like about wine. I mean, humans have been cultivating cultivating wine grapes for at least, 
8,000 years. Um, and they have evidence going back to 6,000 BC in Georgia. Uh, the oldest human civilization that we have is Gobekli Tepe, and that's 10,000 BC. Uh, I think, well, maybe it's 8,000 BC, but it's very, very old. Um, and in that, roughly in that region, there's also people who are discovering alcohol. Right. Making how to make wine, and they probably you know they they go and they find these wild grapes that are from the Caucasus region. They take one, they're like, oh, this is good. They're getting drunk like those birds, you know. They're eating those like red berries, and they're like, woo, <laughs> like waddling around. And so since then, some guys like, you know what? I bet you this would be better if we collected a lot of them and like mashed them up in a clay pot. <laughs> Let's do that, Joe. Like, it's, it was probably actually some lazy hunter ga- or some lazy gatherer one day was out there collecting berries and uh, kind of like forgot that his bat like his basket he left his basket somewhere and then the next day like people were like or I guess it would have been probably longer than a day. <laughs> well, I, I know. I mean, because like one of the you know the grapes that we used to grow in the backyard at the Betsy Ross house. Mm-hmm. Those would ferment on the vine, right? Sometimes before they turn into raisins, and the birds would come down and eat those, and they'd get like messed up a little bit. Yeah, and they were like kind of like flying to the side of the house and like just being dopey birds. Maybe we just had clean windows. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, <laughs> but the uh, definitely not at the Betsy Ross house. <laughs> <laughs> unless I, unless I took Adderall and then, and then everything was clean, but it's uh, never been so clean before in our life. Right. <laughs> but uh, my guess is that like people back then, they probably just like they gathered it, they liked the taste. Because I mean, you you wouldn't think that rotten grape juice would be good, but that's basically what it is. It's just rotten grape juice. It's just but now we've gotten so good as humans, not me and you in particular, <laughs> but like humans in general have gotten so good at controlling the fermentation process of of lots of different things things uh but that's one of the cool things about wine and that's one of the things that a sommelier's job is is to not just bring you to not regretting buying a certain bottle of wine that they recommended but also bring you on the journey of that wine like the this wine has gone through a complex process from seed to vine to fermentation tank to bottle and it's it's a pretty incredible journey i mean they're like and they probably don't realize this or most of them don't realize this but this is Tasting Anarchy, so I'm going to answer, I'm going to bring this up. This is like iPencil. Somebody should, so iPencil is a book, I think uh, Friedman wrote it. I, I could be mistaken on that, but it's a. It's about how the process of bringing a pencil into existence is so complicated. And you would think that with every single stage of production from this, you would need either a master coordinator, somebody mm-hmm. who could like coordinate every single process. And yet nobody's co- coordinating the rubber, the rubber collection for the eraser, the mineral collection for the metal, and the thing, the, the the people who get the lead, the people who have to go out and forest the trees. There's not any sort of higher like government authority making sure, like, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then we get a pencil. It's like the market, the market demands a pencil. And so through this series of spontaneous interactions in, in basically in an anarchist state, the only thing that, that's going through the process in this is that's not anarchist is the government taking a couple of percentages off the top mm-hmm. but and yet they're able to provide you this really complex product which you wouldn't think is complex right. for five cents right and it's and that's sort of what's going on with wine is that like you these every single wine grape that we have now comes from Georgia ten thousand years ago and they and there there's only I think one or two species of wine grapes and they're all every every type of grape the cabs the rieslings the grease all of these different types of wines are all just cross breeds and and over time are derived out of the same ones they're all related and yeah a lot of them are from clippings I mean they take yeah. the clippings and then ship them mm-hmm. over and that's where they start their vines from yeah and it's it's amazing that like that that's that we're all drinking these very complex wines through people who there's the language 
language barrier all over the place. There's so much going on. And in the end, you're able to get a, a, a really good bottle of this Raymond Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon for very inexpensive. It's masterfully, masterfully produced. And that's kind of what I think a sommelier, whether they know it or not, is bringing you through. It's through the process of capitalism to produce a reasonably priced bottle of wine. I mean, like, I don't know how glass is, I, I, I roughly know how glass is made, but I don't know where this glass comes from. I uh, don't really, I know the process roughly of how to produce wine, but I, I don't know how to build like the wine press. I don't know how to, right. I don't know how to build the barrels that the wine is aged in. You have to have like one of those guys who makes oak barrels to have it aged in the oak. And then like new oak has or a where they flavor. got, yeah, where they got them from, yeah, how lightly French? aged. Is it French? Is it American oak? Like, we're, yeah, we're, what were those barrels used for before, if anything? You know, a lot yeah. of the times the beer and, and, and wine and whiskey and all those guys kind of switch barrels they around. Do. Just to give it a nice, interesting flavor, especially like if they, like a lot of the beers, like you'll get like these old, the older, or like they'll be like the third or fourth use of a bourbon barrel to produce a beer. And so like capitalism creates this really interesting dynamic where, um, these people don't all necessarily have to know each other, but the market, the price mechanisms and the market forces push things into a point to produce something that two software developers can <laughs> reasonably afford. Actually, this is what's also incredible about it. You flew in a metal cylinder yep. from 2,000 miles away. A tiny one. Yeah. <laughs> this afternoon. <laughs> We don't know how any of that. I mean, we know roughly how that works, but we don't. We wouldn't be able to recreate it on our own. Mm -mm. But the market has made it so that you can afford to come down to Dallas, Texas, from the Springfield area in Illinois for an affordable price to come and enjoy an affordable bottle of wine that's made through a series of processes that we roughly understand but couldn't reproduce. Correct. And there's thousands of people involved. They don't need any sort of like president to coordinate them this is the state of anarchy and this is what's going on in most people's lives at all times it's pretty amazing there's more anarchy in your life than you realize yeah, I, I think and that's the thing is that like rothbard talked about this and uh walter block reiterates it a lot is um actually i think a ton of the anarchists reiterate this is that there's most of your life is anarchy there there is distortions and effects by the government because the government is doing things that will that alter your market choices um but like if you go, for example, if it, between the states, well, who's the who's in charge of the states? The federal government. Well, who's in charge of the federal government and Canada between the United States federal government and the Canadian federal government? Well, nobody's higher than them. So Canada and the United States, they exist in anarchy at that level and they don't need any sort of higher level to right. coordinate them. So you can we can extrapolate that down to the individual, I think. Um, but and, and before we get too far away from um the, the complexity and everything or, or uh, what you were saying before. Yeah. I forgot my point. Lost your train of thought? I did because I, I had I had the tr the thought up until we started talking about the uh, the anarchy and then I lost it. It had to do with this. this. Is, oh, this the, is, the complex. Oh, the selling the selling points of um, the sommelier selling you the, the bottle, oh, yeah. the bottle of wine and selling you the experience of mm -hmm. like being able to appreciate if somebody just plops a even a good glass of wine in front of you and says here you go you know yeah. try it out yeah, and you drink it and it's good but if you have somebody sitting there like describing certain experiences certain things that you yourself might not be able to like mm -hmm. pick up the individual details because right. you're not an expert wine drinker yeah 
um, it, it, I think it, it makes the wine better to mm-hmm. a certain degree. You know, it, it almost preps your brain, your taste buds for these things, and it, yeah. it can extract all these things. And you, you actually appreciate what you have in front of you. Right. It's not just a glass of wine that you got at the store. It's now this process that, you know, this, um, that this person created for their 10th, the 10th anniversary to like prove to the world that, yeah. you know, that this wine is delicious and mm-hmm. that, you know, hey, you know, I, I created this for you. You know, these right. winemakers, yeah, they're they're creating because it's a, it's their passion and they're going to do it for themselves. But they want people to taste their wine. They yeah. want people to have enjoyment and you know, and yeah. fall in love with their wines. Mm-hmm. And and so that's really a lot of what the Somali is trying to is there for yeah. as well as being able to kind of do some of that prep work to make that glass of wine not just simply some crushed red grapes in a glass, right. but you know, something much more. Yeah. And, it, and really like what I mentioned earlier too, is you've got Somalias is like specialized in cheap wines. I mean like up there, I don't know if you can see it from there. I've got that winking owl. Mm-hmm. It's $3, that bottle of wine. And I think it's, I think it's a Merlot. It might be a Zinfandel, but those, those inexpensive wines can be made as good as a 30 or $40 bottle of wine when they, when somebody helps you understand what's going on with it. Mm-hmm. And now I wouldn't be able to do that. Mason wouldn't be able to do that. He and I are both wine amateurs, but a, but a master sommelier could, and a master sommelier would taste stuff in that that would blow my mind, right? Just because that's what they're trained to do. And when when a master sommelier has, uh, you know, the service level, I mean, they're probably not going to be selling three dollar bottles of wine. But <laughs> if you're a master sommelier, because it's a lot of work. But um, that's what I think. Also, kind of to sort of tie this back around to the theme of the show a little bit is the the uh, master sommelier, the organization. I don't remember what it's called exactly, but there's an organization that kind of runs sommelier certification and. Um, Actually, I think there's actually a few, but to have a master sommelier certification from this particular group uh, is a pretty big deal, and it's very interesting process. So there's there's several portions to it. The one of the final portions is that you have uh, you go into a artificial restaurant, so it's a room that's set up like a restaurant, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you're taste tasting wines and explaining to people what should be in the wine and all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of a because the idea is that all master sommeliers are going to be in a restaurant atmosphere or at least a wine tasting atmosphere, and they're going to be uh, coordinating this. But this organization is a private organization. They they don't you know you don't need a license from the government to be a sommelier. Sommelier, yeah. Like you, it's an organization that has manifested itself in the market because wine is something that's important to people, and it's also important to people, particularly if you're going to spend a hundred dollars on a bottle of wine, that you, you know the credentials of the person. Yeah, who exactly. It. The guy who's recommending it. Yeah, it's not and, just and, Billy Bob yeah. who's like who likes drinking a bunch of bottles of wine in the back of Total Wine. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like I mean, like Mason and I, we like those winking owls. Right. Uh, I mean, we had the cab. Their cab is not my favorite thing ever, but for three dollars, we like it. I like. I think that's a Merlot that I have up there, um, and that's pretty good. Uh, the Zinfandel is actually highly, highly rated for three. For, it's a three dollar mm. bottle of wine, but it's actually pretty highly rated because they say it's not special, but it tastes like a Zinfandel should taste. And that's all you need sometimes, uh, or, or maybe not a Zinfandel. I think it might be a Shiraz that. I, one of the either Shiraz and Vidal or Molo, one of those three. <laughs> one of those grapes. Yeah, is one of the ones that they like uh, for that. But uh, moving on, because we don't want to stay up too late. I got one more thing, and I have never heard of this until I read the article. Um, have you ever heard of smoke taint? 
It sounds funny, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, no, I have I have never heard of smoke taint. So I've never heard of this either. And apparently this is uh, one of the things that grape growers fear quite a bit, particularly in the West, uh, California, Oregon, those areas, because it's, there's a lot of fires out there. Oh, um, now it's now, uh, starting to click okay. now. With- See, I, I did not realize this, but grapes are very, very sensitive to the environment. And um, recently... Due to the fires in Northern California and Oregon, um, a very large consumer of wine grapes that contracts with a lot of wine growers has uh, refused to accept contract orders for um, grapes that they believe have been contaminated by smoke taint. Now, what's interesting about it is that you may not know that your crop has smoke taint until several years after it's been in the bottle. It is a off Interesting. flavor. Yeah, it's an off flavor that manifests later. Uh, sometimes it'll manifest right away. Right. But sometimes it it takes several years. Well, because like a, it's like you know the difference in you know grapes in different soils. That's how the sommeliers can taste you know the right. regions yeah. and stuff. Is they know there's these very subtle flavors that mm-hmm. manifest in those in those and so yeah you get the smoke inside of those and like you said. There's yeah. a disguised flavor that, and everybody knows wines start changing flavors as they get older. Yeah. And so, and a lot of time you'll get, uh, according to the article I was reading, because I've never heard of this before, um, uh, you will, it will be, you'll have, you know, barreled your wine, aged it, put it into bottles and then put it on the shelves. And it may not, you may get, you know, the first, the first year that people are buying that it's fine and they like it. And then slowly but surely, a overpowering, uh, overpowering taste of like rancid smoke, like carcinogen. Yeah, like a carcinogenic flavor. Because it's not like a lovely, like no, it's oh, like, it's like ooh, a ooh, like a nice a, oak barrel, right, yeah, like oak smoke or whatever. Yeah. You know? No, it's like it's like a it's like a gross wow smokiness. And now this is, I think they said this was something like. Uh, four million dollars worth of grapes have been rejected by this company and i did not do enough research to uh know what the contract looks like but i'm i'm this is a uh, one particular part of the willamette valley in oregon um and we've actually on the show we've been talking a lot about oregon lately because they've got a lot of weird stuff going on with their wine their wine region uh which is the willamette valley is there is one of their major wine growing regions and then the willamette valley itself is divided up into several uh subregions and um this one particular subregion of the willamette valley apparently had uh, a lot of smoke blow in and it's and it's mm. nothing it's not something you can control either right um and this is something i've been learning a lot about lately and i find it fascinating with with grapes is that there's so much that can happen that you have no control over and uh and that's why like for example i talked about this uh in the short episode two episodes ago i think uh that uh england has had a really 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 good um year this year they've they've grown twice as many grapes or they have had a harvest of twice as many than they've ever had plus they're expanding the regions because warming up there and uh and and just a higher demand for wine in general and uh in europe more so than they than they do in america they will only put a vintage on a wine if it's a good year so you can have several years where there's no vintage Hmm. it's they'll they'll save it and they'll mix it with several years in a row and they'll blend them so they'll be a more consistent flavor but occasionally they'll have like one fantastic year where everything just aligns perfectly and you know there's the full moon and like and then like venus jupiter is jupiter yeah or whatever, you know? <laughs> like all, all those types of things and it'll be just like the the perfect year well this is like the opposite of a perfect year for this one part of oregon and uh, and the people who would normally buy all their grapes are not doing it now 
this is the, the, I guess, the heartwarming part that I like a lot about this story is that the rest of the Willamette Valley that was not affected has basically taken up the slack and is helping these uh, grape growers basically cross over into the next year. Yeah, continue, be able mm-hmm. to support right. in, a, in a damaging year. Yeah, because this is a bad year. But, you know, this hap- this does happen. And why I'm surprised about it is because um, I don't know if, if maybe it's a it's a new world wine thing, but like in uh, some French French wines and stuff like that, they'll just be years that they find unacceptable and mm-hmm. they just won't make wine that year. Right. And... Uh, and whether the French do this or not, I'm surprised that there's not like smoke taint insurance for uh, for a harvest. Well, yeah, and I, I wonder how long has this really been going on? Like the smoke taint been an issue? Like has it only been an issue yeah, in the last new? couple yeah. years? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, because I, I would think that if, you know, especially out, out west, if there continues to be more fires, you'd almost have to. But then yeah. by the same token, who would insure, who would insure it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, I, and part of that, I wonder if there's any kind of like technique that they can use to, to have a small batch and put it through some like advanced oxidization or something like that to be able to form forecast yeah or at how least how long it will be until it taints right or yeah. or even if it not necessarily how long before it taints but it, it be able to at least tell if if it, if it has a risk of tainting right yeah i'd be interested in that i'd also honestly kind of be interested in trying a bottle of wine that has been tainted yeah just, just, I, I just, just want to know what that it's that like is, right yeah. is it as terrible as yeah. it sounds or, or is, is it, it like just like saying it's right like yeah like yeah. oh my gosh yeah now this brought up in my research because of this, this brought up some other interesting things about New World wine in, in the western part of the country is, um, and I think 2014 or 2015, uh, they had the first, um, it can't have been the first, but the first like widely publicized loss of an entire vintage due to earthquake from a particular winery. So is that like they they had all of their wine in one uh, oh, one storage unit? Yeah. The earthquake happened. The storage unit fell over, and every single barrel was burst. And uh, so they lost an entire year. Now what's not funny about it, but what's interesting about it is I watched an interview with the the guy who had the who had who owned the vineyard mm-hmm. and the, and was a master winemaker and he said well this this type of thing just happens we just gotta you know power through it and he's like this is this is why like if I can save one bottle of wine out of this yeah that'll be the most expensive bottle of wine I ever make right yeah because it'll be like the yeah only one. exactly <laughs> and yeah. people will buy it because of it yeah exactly and he says that's just one of the things that you do. He said some years, and he said this was what was the worst part about it is that it was one of the best years that Napa mm, had ever had. Perfect of course, weather, of course. Perfect weather because like if it rains when it's time for the harvest, it swells the grapes, mm. and you get a watery wine. So okay. he said he said we did, we had, didn't have any rain during harvest, but we had rain like six weeks prior to harvest, so it was the perfect amount. Like the sunshine was great, there was no overcast, everything was perfect. We harvested within like it was three just too days. good. God, God and, said that uh, that it, it could, <laughs> yeah. So, so they interviewed him while he was actually cleaning it up, and he was like, if I can find one unburst barrel in here, that will be one of the most expensive. I probably won't sell it. I'll keep it for right. myself. Yeah. And, uh, but he's going through it. I mean, like, yeah. it was totally destroyed. It was too perfect for humanity. It, must, it <laughs> yeah, had to yeah, be yeah. destroyed. Yeah, I know. That's what he's saying. He's saying... <laughs> He's saying when I put it in the barrels, it was like, it was amazing. Like everything was so great. But like, it just, it just kind of makes you, I guess, appreciate the, the journey of wine. Um, when you start explaining this, and this is kind of one of the reasons why Mason and I started the show was he and I, I wouldn't say we're over beer altogether, but we're kind of getting like, I wouldn't say even too old for beer, but like, I can't handle it. Remember when we used, when we used to go to like the libertarian meetings, Mm -hmm. the amount of just the volume of beer I would consume. Oh yeah. And it wasn't good beer. No, it was like blue moon. Yeah. So like, which is okay beer, but like, 
but just the sheer volume right. that I would consume was astronomical. And rarely I had a hangover. Then like slowly but surely oh, yeah, it got worse and worse yeah. and worse and worse until like maybe two years ago, I had like two beers, woke up and was so hungover. And I was like, I think that's it for me for beer. <laughs> And I, and I occasionally get hungover if I drink like an entire bottle of like high alcohol percentage wine. Right. Like we're actually, I'm, we're going to go to the Russian store on Sunday and get a Kagor wine. I want you to try that. It's usually uh, between 16 and 17% alcohol, okay. which is pretty high for a wine. It's a sweet dessert wine. Ooh. Um, and I think I reviewed it four episodes ago, maybe. And it, or actually I had one sip and couldn't stand it, but Victoria really liked it. So she gave her notes on it and, uh, or, and she'll, she also pronounces it correctly. I don't. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a Moldovan style wine that is uh, a sacramental wine that they made a dessert wine. Okay. So we'll, we'll pick up a good bottle of that because it's. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought on that. But uh, yeah, like the, the, the whole like being able to handle my alcohol has changed. And although I don't think you and I really ever had the goal of just getting hammered. Um, right. It was if, all if, by, if we, mostly yeah. by accident versus like, we're not, we're not like, let's get schwaced tonight. Yeah. We were just sitting out there in the garage. And then before we knew it, we had drinking half yeah. a case and it was like, Oh, Oh boy. Yeah. Well, we we drink it. Well, I think it was like we'd drink it half a case, and by the time you drink half a case, you're just not thinking about it anymore. Right. You're, you're just, just you're sitting chatting, and it's really yeah. just an automated yeah, action a, that's yeah, happening. Yeah. And then you're eating blocks of cheese, and like, and that doesn't. <laughs> and then mix getting well. getting the heavy. Yeah, getting the heavy. Right. Well, and I think like any time you and I really wanted to get messed up, we just used drugs. Like we didn't. Right. We didn't drink to get messed up. Right. Like, <laughs> right. like that's the hard way to do it. But uh it's harder on the body. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh but you know, the older I get, the more I think we I mean we went through our our like trying a whole bunch of different types of beer phase where it was like yeah. we started yeah, we, did. we appreciated a lot of beer. Then we started making beer. I think yeah. I, I I don't know if you ever made a barrel with, or a bottle or a thing. I never it. assisted but okay. I was I was I, I helped you bottle a few yeah. um and I was definitely around for the for a good portion of it. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it. It was an interesting journey to, yeah. you know, the first brown little. Oh, that brown was good. The belly brown. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. belly. Yeah, I the love belly that, label. Yeah, that, was that label. Um, let's pour out the rest of this bottle real quick. Oh yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of ask a little bit because we were we were we brought up the you know the bad years and how certain um, vintners decided just not to put out that wine. I wonder if there's a difference between. Um, vineyards that put out that mass produce wine and actually sell them on a you know more of a global scale versus um, a lot of the wineries that are maybe in your local state and actually we were kind of talking about this earlier today um, there might be a lot of the wineries in your local state that you can't get unless you go to the winery right and I wonder if um, you know if the the people who are out you know okay we're not going to release this to you know on a national level mm-hmm. Are the are the vineyards that don't mass produce? Do they say, well, it's not our best year, but we we don't have anything else yeah. to sell, so we need to put it out anyways? Well, and I guess I have a, a, a slight answer to that, and the slight answer is that um, I actually we mentioned this already is that they'll sometimes blend over years. Oh yeah, yep. um, 
And then also, like, actually, I don't know if you can see it up there. I don't think it's in in the front row, but I have a stack of wine that I keep re- referring to. Nobody on <laughs> the show stack. can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> hear uh, it. You can't, they can't hear it. But there's like a, there's a Bordeaux there, um, and Bordeaux is uh, a region of France. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is not a uh, varietal of grape because in France they label wines slightly differently than they do here. Um, and a Bordeaux is a blend. So, and from what I understand, that one of the reasons why a lot of old world uh, wines are blended is because of this very problem is that sometimes you just don't have a great season mm-hmm. or, or possibly it's not a good season for cab. Right. Uh, it, but it's a great season for Merlot. And so a lot of these, uh, and also a lot of new or uh, old world wines are made to drink. They're not made for aging. Correct. So, uh, what they'll do is they'll just, they try to blend it to make something that's serviceable mm-hmm. that they can sell that year. And they will adjust the percentages. Now, I think that now it's a little bit more standardized than it used to be because there is a, a semi-government uh, organization in France that is basically the wine police. And they uh, <laughs> they make sure that everything is the way it's supposed to be according to tradition. And um, It is tradition. Yeah, and I think there are now fixed percentages, but the way that it used to be historically was you adjusted your percentages uh, based on what was available. Right. So if it was a bad year for you know Capsov, you put more Merlot in mm-hmm. or something. Just give it a of, little base. Yeah, give it a little base. Put overpower the Capsov if it was not great. Um, or or vice versa, if right. it was a bad year for Merlot, and so yeah, I think I think Bordeaux's are usually three ones. I think it's I think it's well, I think it's Cab Sauv, Sapivari. I could be totally wrong on this. Actually, I am wrong on this. Yeah, I don't remember what it is. Yeah. I think it's a blend of three. Well, because the Bordeaux region encompasses um, some very specific grapes, mm-hmm. and if if somebody's referring to a Bordeaux blend, then yeah. it's going to be those specific right grapes. Yeah, and then and then the Bordeaux region. That's not all they grow there. They also put out Correct. other types of yeah. wines. And but, but like I was the, saying earlier, is that like in France. Wine's not aged. You don't have like a, and maybe you have a 2017, but like they, A, they won't, if it's not a really good year, they won't make a vintage. Mm-hmm. And B, the wine may have been fermented and bottled, you know, six months ago, and now it's ready for you to eat with your baguette. Mm. So, because <laughs> that's how they do it. And they open up like a bottle of wine over lunch. They each have, you know, you got five people, you each can have a glass because the bottle is roughly five glasses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, go back. Well, they're French, so they don't go back to work. They just go do something else lazy. But just kidding, French people. Just kidding. Uh, old, that's just... old stigmas die hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that's interesting. And um, we were talking about one other thing that we can probably end on because we're coming up on an hour now. And once I once I edit this down, it'll be about 45 minutes, which is pretty good. Um, we were talking earlier about one other thing that you and I used to do when we lived at the Betsy Ross house. I'm trying to remember what it is at this, at this point. Um, well, it wasn't cleaning. It wasn't cleaning. Well, we were talking about that <laughs> earlier, but all, all of the cleaning that we did involved drugs. Um, I did do my, my best cleaning on Molly. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, I, 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 like a lot of people took that to like not, space not a, out. Not Betsy no, Ross no, house. this was oh, okay. no. Um, a you lot of people shared. took it to <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, would you know just to like get out into their own world? But I'd look around my house and be like, no, no, this needs to be cleaned. Well, I remember that when when I don't remember, I don't know. Oh no, actually, I do remember why. It was because Pierce moved out. And right. the house was just filthy. That was right when I, I moved back in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd probably been there for maybe a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. Getting it, actually, maybe two months at the most. Right. It, it, it was it was right when you moved back in. So just for the listeners to get a little background, 
uh, I think you and I might have gone over this on the last episode you were on. Yeah, but however many moons yeah. ago. So that was. Nate and I went to the same college, and uh, my parents were moving to Hawaii because uh, my dad got my dad's in the military, which I've mentioned also before, and he got stationed in Hawaii, and I was in college going to ECPI with Nate, and we knew each other from there. I think we'd had a couple of like SQL classes or something right. together, and because uh, we had different majors, but they overlapped a lot, and uh, we just hit it off. We hit it good. off real well, but you were living in like an apartment with, like five guys. Or something. Yeah, it was four of us, oh, and four. each of us shared. So each person had at least one other person in the room. Unfortunately, I was stuck with like the worst, the like the sweating Mountain Dew guy, <laughs> right? Not you know, I, I love the guy. You know, I love the guy, and everybody goes through, especially in the early twenties. Mm-hmm. You know. Nobody knows wh- where they are in life, who they are. They're struggling through things, bad habits, you know, bad upbringing, whatever. Yeah. But it definitely was not the quintess, you know, it was not the most enjoyable experience. Yeah. But I did also have some, like, my other roommates I loved. Right. They were just in the other room. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that, like, you had mentioned it several times to me. And and when my parents were moving, I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go rent this house. Mm-hmm. You want to move into the house. You can't live with it, – it sounds to me like it's miserable what you're doing. And actually – you moved into the house before I did. You were there for like a week. With I no, was. With no power. No, no power. I was water. taking cold showers <laughs> without a shower, a shower curtain. Yeah. The first few nights I stayed there, I had no bed. I was literally like freezing. Because it was Freezing winter. in the shower because yeah. you had to take a shower. And I remember it so vividly. Just getting in there and like pointing the shower head like towards the wall and like curling up against the wall so that the water didn't yeah. splash all over the bathroom and cold yeah. and then go to bed with no bed <laughs> no bed just blankets and pillows and as is my way i am the slowest mover so like when you were like what are you gonna get the hot water turned on i was like i'll get turned on <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, at least a week but you're so agreeable too that you were you were like okay that sounds great that's, that's and, great well, and, and, and it wasn't in your mind you're going like it is He's got to get this hot water turned on. Well, it, uh, I'm also crazy enough that like it didn't yeah. really bother me. Yeah. Like yeah. if it was a month, I'd be like, okay, this this is this is getting ridiculous now. But for me, I mean, I go swimming in like <laughs> 65 degree water anyway, so I was just like, I just looked at it as an adventure, you know, yeah. a new frontier, unsettled lands, well, you remember uncivilized. The, you remember the first summer that we had at that house? Uh, the AC we thought was just a bad AC. <laughs> And this is Virginia, so it was like close to a hundred and very humid. Humid. And we're going like, how on earth is a house this hot? And and we could feel air coming out, and the air was cool, lukewarm. Yeah, yeah like, or like yeah. And so we we're like, well, it's just I guess it's just a really bad AC. And I'm very agreeable as well. And I'm also a slow mover, so I was like, <laughs> well, I don't really want to call the landlord. I don't want to bother him. He's an old right. man. He's a really nice guy, and like I, I we'll we'll figure it out, Mr. Potter. Yeah, and then one day I was walking outside, and I noticed that the uh, the breaker mm-hmm. for the AC was turned off. <laughs> so the AC that entire time had not been running; just the fan had been running. And when I when I hit the breaker, we I mean it was like a month and a half, like in it was like into August, and that's like the worst <laughs> time in Virginia. And I and I flipped the breaker and go inside. And immediately it's like 10 degrees cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then I get the electric bill. And I'm like, oh, that's why it's nice to have uh, just live with no AC. (laughs) Just deal with it. Yeah. But uh, I don't remember where I was going with that. But good times. Yeah. I mean, it was good times. It was, you know, we were we were both going to school. Oh, I think Uh, you were trying to glean the last question 
or thought that you had from the Betsy Ross that we were talking about earlier, but I don't even recall. Yeah, what you're I don't know. About. We'll just continue, I guess, going through the the good good times. Reminiscing Betsy Ross, and then the, I remember this vividly. And it probably to you did not seem this way because it was going through your head for weeks or whatever. But the way that I remember it is, like, I come home from work one day, and you're like, "Hey, Jake, I'm moving to Illinois to be a farmer," <laughs> and I'm like, "What? What?" He said, "Yep, I'm gonna be gone." Next week. See ya. <laughs> was it that quick? It was fast. Like, and I didn't realize that it, that, but you would probably have been thinking about it. That right. That's the thing is like, just, you know, in your Internalizing. own Internalizing. Well, you used to do this thing that drove me nuts when you first moved in is you would just disappear for several days. Oh yeah. I'd be at friends' houses yeah, you, or something. Yeah, you just like, yeah. and I'd be like, I don't know if he's alive. On the, like, on the weekends, yeah, I'd go dead. out to friends. And but you, you know, I came from living with you know, uh, a family of uh, five kids and two adults and like, you know, everybody tells everybody where they're going and that yeah. sort of stuff. And you would just like disappear. <laughs> and, I, and I'm and I'm like, I'm calling my mom and going like, well, I don't know where Nate went. Like he hasn't been here for three days. His stuff is here. And like, like <laughs> but, it, but he's gone. I don't know what happened. Like he's gone. And he had that cool uh, truck. Yeah. And I was like, but the truck hasn't been here either. Or so, like sometimes though the truck would be there. Right. And you just be gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I come back three days later. Doo, doo, doo. Hey, yeah. Jacob, hey, how's it going? going? You're like, where, where were, you? were you? Oh, my God. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> so with it now with a combination of you and my mother, I now keep people very informed of my movements. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that like as as I got to know you better when we lived together, I just was like, well, this is just Nate. He's just right. a free spirit. Like you're like the most anarchist spirited person I know where it's just like you're you live <laughs> and, and, and that's it like you know you don't day owe, to day yeah you don't owe anything to anybody else like right. but it but it, I, I i can see the taxing that it has on some of my friends and stuff yeah. because like even even me and my sister like we just we were on the phone for like an hour last night the last time we talked to each other was i can't remember yeah but it's just like i i get into the day-to-day yeah and like i'm here and if you're not here it's not like i forgot about you right but, but it's not it's not urgent Right, because I'm thinking about whatever, like all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff that's yeah, going yeah. on. Right, and um, so I like to, I like to come out for air every once in a while and try to make sure that I, yeah. that my friends know I appreciate them. <laughs> right, <laughs> and I'm glad that you came down, down to Dallas. But then, like, so, so Nate left then for maybe. Well, I was at the Betsy Ross house for six years. Yeah, um, I think you, I think it was about two years in that you went to Illinois, or maybe a year and a half. Well, so. Um, the first time. The first time, that was that was really well. No, because I was up in Virginia at that time. The first time I where I was there for maybe a year or two, because then my mom wanted me to move up because I hadn't gotten a job right away out of school, so I had to go up and I worked at the winery. And then when I no moved, no, no you went to Illinois first and then went to the winery. No, because uh, your grandparents needed help at the at the farm or whatever. Well, I went up to. I went up to Virginia for eight months, worked at the winery, and then at one of our family vacations, I came out and lived with my uncle for six months in Illinois. Okay. And and we were he got me back into the programming world. That's right. I remember that. Okay. And then I got a job in Virginia Beach with the company I interned for. Okay. And that's when I moved back. That's right. Okay. And then it was like another year or two that I just went out into Illinois for like our family vacation that we did. Yeah, because I think you lived with me the second time longer than the first time. Yeah, it was yeah, it was, like it was two a couple, years yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so at least. Yeah. And um, but then I'm then I when I came out to Illinois, I just knew like for whatever reason that's where I needed to be. Right. And that's where I was moved to go. Which yeah. once I got out there and have lived like the last four years, I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, what, yeah he's going, like, why, why was I here? Well, you know what, man? Dallas, Dallas, uh, you're always welcome to yeah. come down here. Always welcome yeah. in Dallas. Yeah, and, you know, I'll talk to I'll talk to my boss. Maybe we we have there's actually other programming positions besides what I do. So there you go. If you want to uh, come talk to Bo, he's a cool guy, anyways. So, but uh, then uh, so I think actually I mean the second time you moved down you came back down I think was a much more exciting time. Like the first time we were just kind of getting through with college. Yeah, and just, just figuring stuff out. Yeah, and... like I I remember you finished a month or two months before right. me, one semester before me. Yep, and like. I remember being so jealous about it. And then, like, finally, when I finished school, like, I remember walking down to the Target behind our house mm -hmm. and it feeling like everything was much clearer <laughs> because it's I was not working, in haze. Yeah, because well, yeah, you were working full time. Yeah. And I was working for my old company where I, at least 2017, I averaged uh, like 54 hours a week, and which was just too much for, for me. And, um, and on like busy weeks, I was doing like 60, 70 hours a week. And, and I was going to school full time. Yep. And it was miserable. Yeah. And then I remember finishing school and just being like, ah. And I and I remember specifically walking down to the Target and like hearing the the birds singing and stuff. <laughs> and be like, this life has just gotten infinitely better. And I think I had a girlfriend at the time too. So yeah. I, so I was like, oh, yeah, so that's always better. a plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and then I think you came back down. And then we did we did a lot of well, maybe that was the first time. I don't remember, but I like I think when you came down the second time, that's when we started doing like interesting things. Yeah, we were just more like active and ready to do. Yeah, like uh, when, I think I had the fish at the time. Yeah, because yeah, I just came back. I came into the tail end of the fish. Of the fish, yeah. So I then had they all I died. Had, yeah, well, they didn't all die. We killed. We killed them. <laughs> some some of them died. Uh, and then I wasn't sure if I wanted to eat them, so we ended up using them as like fertilizer. Yeah, in the garden. we just threw them in the garden. Yeah, and and then we had like a lot of stuff that we got out of the garden. So we had I really. Was, cool I wonder how that on. rosemary bush is doing now, because I bet Probably that thing's big. getting massive. Although po Mr. Potter might have torn it out, he didn't tear out the grapes. Uh, he liked them. He liked the grapes a lot. He thought they were really cool. He yeah. actually thought the fish were really cool. His yeah. wife didn't like the fish. <laughs> actually, and then when. Uh, when I was moving, when Victoria was coming down, I called him and was like, "I'm moving because uh, Victoria's got a dog." And that's um, right. He was very. He was very. He wasn't right. His, his wife yeah. was. Uh, and although they were both very, very nice, they were. But uh, his wife was like, "I don't want a dog in the house. They cause damage and stuff." And, and I, that I understand that. Right. But uh, but Victoria was coming down. She had Foxy, and so I told him, "Yeah, I'm moving out." And he was like, "Well, you know, I've talked to my wife, and yeah. maybe we can do that." And his wife actually was like, "Well, I guess I can have a dog." And then I was like, "Yeah, but it's not just the dog. It's also the amount that the rent is. We're trying to save money. Victoria is going to be going to school, and I don't want her to have to work. I want her to be able to focus on school." And then he was like, "Well, I've got this other place." place at the beach and i'll give it to you for a thousand a month and it was actually really nice it was one bedroom apartment mm -hmm. second floor of a duplex and it was two blocks away from the beach oh yeah if you and i had had the opportunity to get that place before we got the betsy ross house i think that would have been like the coolest party house. oh yeah because oh, for sure you can even go though, down to the beach yeah it was only one bedroom but it had like a office area that was kind of like a bedroom you could have put like a curtain up or we could have put like a temporary door up or something it's like okay. that. Okay, well, we we could have just gotten a king bed and yeah, put a pillow true. down the middle. Yeah, of Jacob. just a, yeah, or a body pillow. So yeah. like yeah, just but but it also had like it had a uh, a um what's what's it called when the porch is fully enclosed and air conditioned? Enclosed porch. Yeah, I guess just an enclosed porch. So it had an enclosed porch that was oh uh, it, it, some uh, uh summer room or summer sunroom, room multi season room so, yeah something like that. 
So this was like a fully three season like, room. Three season room. That's that's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Three season room. So this room that it had. So this was like a, a really cool place. And he was like, well, cool. you know, I'm Mr. Potter. I'll give it to you for a thousand bucks because you, you've been such a good tenant. And it was literally two blocks from the beach. Like this would have been awesome. Oh yeah, for you and me. We like. I mean, especially like since before when we were in the apartments and stuff with my old roommates. We would always like there would always be nice that we'd be taking forties to the beach and like just yeah. chilling out and wow. just oh and this and this was a really nice beach too it was on um, oh yeah what street it was a uh, Kurtuk over it, not on not on the side with the numbered streets oh on, on the other side of okay. the inlet yeah I've never I, I wasn't very familiar over there well that's where we used that's to go closer on, to your old your old yeah house. yeah closer to my yeah. old house so we used to go there in high school that was the beach that we went to and because you could back then you could park on the road and then walk to the beach but yeah. then they end up closing it off so that you get towed if you parked on the road but damn this had but also this is the other cool thing about the property and so he was like well i'm gonna give it to you for a thousand but you got to do the yard work because it was a two-story so the guy in the bottom story he didn't want to do the yard work so oh. uh but he paid like 1400 so he was gonna give me like a 400 off per month to do to, to help do maintain work. which yeah, which yeah i'd do that but uh it had this hideous pink bathroom Ugh. and victoria was not keen on that <laughs> <laughs> and also she didn't drive yet so if it's she's going to ODU, it's just way too far yeah. away. And the train, there's no train, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no nothing. There's no train, no bus. Or, well, there is a bus, but you have to go on this like Ugh, crazy weird roundabout it way. Takes, it takes like 40 yeah. minutes to get yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, you remember, you the, oh, yeah. actually, the first six months that you, when you moved back, you had no car. I didn't have a car for a year. Oh, for a full year? For a full yeah. year. So I remember you were driving, you were riding that bike with like the bent front tire for a Yeah. While. <laughs> so I, I had this road bike, and yeah, about, uh, it was either... In the beginning of the winter or like the beginning of spring, I was coming home from work and there's, there was a Starbucks on the way and, you know, mm -hmm. I'm driving and I thought this person had seen me <laughs> and they were either on their phone or drinking. Yeah. I don't know what the heck they were doing. And they started edging forward right as I was passing. They actually semi hit, they hit yeah. me. Luckily, they weren't going very fast. Yeah. But it it's like. Dented that front it tire. It was scary. But yeah, it bent my front tire. Mm -hmm. And instead of being a responsible adult and mm -hmm. fixing it, I just rode the damn bike <laughs> with this bent tire yeah. for like three months, four months. Yeah. And every time I'd, I mean, you when you rode the bike, you just see like the front tire. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. Because well, I, like, I, I, after you moved, I rode right. that bike for a while. Yeah. Uh, and to, then you repaired it condition. for one of my birthdays. Yeah, that's right. That's Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Did it? How did I bring that to you? Um, I think that it, it was either when I came back or when you... Something, yeah. I don't remember. I, it was it one of the you. trips, yeah. yeah. Like, I went and got the front tire, like, either replaced or fixed. Right. And I think it might have been one of the one of the times that I, like, drove back to Virginia Beach to yeah. visit. That's um, right, yeah. And, I, and, and the, oh, that's right. Back. And I gave you my first yep. uh, bike, bike harness rack. thing on yep. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a fun gift. But remember, uh, I would drop you off sometimes that when you worked at, I think it was in Motion, was it? Or no, no, that was where Novo they Solutions. Novo, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we would go into that 7 Eleven mm -hmm. and that, that, uh, Filipino lady that was in there. Oh, yeah. Nathan Jacob. Nathan Jacob. Nathan Jacob. She loved us. I'm like, it almost felt yeah. like bad to, like, if we ever did a, like, a whole week that we didn't go. Yeah. We always felt, like, really bad right. when we went in. She's like, Nathan Jacob, where you been? <laughs> where you been? <laughs> and we were like, oh, oh we I miss you. Yeah. We miss you, 7 Eleven lady. Yeah, she was a nice lady. But I think that uh, that's enough reminiscing for now because we've got we've <laughs> got to we've got to go. And actually, if we have time, I wouldn't mind doing a short second episode to review some of these Texas wines that we're going to try tomorrow. Oh yeah. Um, but we may not have time, so just go uh, live, just I live, just, unfiltered, just record, uncut, un, unfiltered, recording on the phone. <laughs> uh, but um, 
I think that's it. So just for everybody who is listening, I hope you enjoyed Nathan and me reminiscing about rambling. Um, yeah, just things that went on. Uh, we had a Cabernet Sauvignon uh, 2017 from Raymond Vineyards. This is so the uh, 10th. It was very good, actually. Uh, the 10th anniversary edition. Um, it's the 10th anniversary of Wall Street Journal Wines, not 10th anniversary of Raymond Vineyards. Um, this is a it's 14.5 percent alcohol by volume. Uh, from Napa, California, and um, I think it's very good. I enjoyed it a lot. I, mean, I think because of how much I like this, I'm going to save that other bottle mm-hmm. for a couple of years and just see how it turns out, or maybe save it until the next time Mason and I can get together, and then he can kind of uh, maybe appreciate it a little bit too. Yeah, because this is definitely a nice one. It is. Uh, if you are not already following us on Twitter, at Tasting Anarchy, uh, you can also reach out if you'd like to via email at... Um, well, it's actually tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Hashtag taste the anarchy. Yeah, or you can hashtag taste the anarchy. Or you could uh, leave a comment on one of the articles. Hopefully, we'll have some more up. And I think Mason and I always are talking about, oh, we got to get more articles, more articles, more articles. Uh, at this point, I don't know that that's going to happen. Like, I do book reviews occasionally. Uh, I don't think I've done, done a wine review. I think I've done like two wine reviews on the site. And usually, if I want to do a wine review, I just do an audio recording of it. And uh, <laughs> audio books only. Yeah, audio. audio <laughs> because like I just like sometimes like typing them up I'm like oh, I'm gonna be clever and then like I reread it later and I'm like this is not very clever no. <laughs> but uh, but you can check that out at tastinganarchy.com uh, we'll have most of the episodes there a lot of the show notes will be there um, but as of right now you can check out the show uh, from our website you can also check out on Google Podcasts iTunes um, it's on um, Spotify now I'm gonna get it up on SoundCloud probably by the time this episode comes out it's on Stitcher it's on Google Podcasts, which I might have already mentioned. Um, or you could just get the RSS, RSS feed on Podbean. Um, and uh, anything we talked about this week, I'm going to try to add to the show notes. Uh, if I miss anything, let me know on Twitter and I'll update it. All right, so have a good night, everybody, and stay free. Peace and love, guys. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pop, pop. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, Blackberry. Wine, wine, Port and sherry. Wine, Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den, he wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine, he hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. Drinking wine for the other drink wine, wine for the other drink wine, wine for the other drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, 40, you to drink wine. Wine, 40, you to drink wine.